This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson. On August 23, we've got episode 80. Just ahead, good news for Tesla from the Biden administration. Plus, Madison Square Garden counting on more kicks from more than the Rockettes. Counting on gambling. And how one company is trying to make it easier for small businesses utilizing the cloud, focusing on startups. Our guest, DigitalOcean CEO, Yancey Spruill. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A And while we think these shows hold up, you listen to The Drill Down every day, you get that necessary shot of business news, and that's easier. Click subscribe and follow us. Download every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome back to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. And we've got news, as I promised, every day, the three most important business stories of the day. Isaac Webster, what do you got? Corey, let's start with uh, the U.S. economic expansion is losing momentum. Forecasting firm IHS Market says U.S. factories and service providers reported sharply l- slower growth in August. Now, behind the softer demand, rising COVID-19 cases, labor shortages, and those persistent knots in shipping networks that we've been talking about. Knots, is that a pun? Knots in shipping? <laughs> I want to say yes, it is intended. Very good. But it wasn't intended, but it did work. So yeah, I'll take it. Very good. Uh, uh, we love the <laughs> nautical pun. Uh, we don't love the problems in shipping that are both uh, at sea and on land. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, great problems in the world of shipping uh, and great changes too. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about some more news. It's sort of trying to take a little bit of shipping out of the the global economy, making the world a little bit less globally connected. But yeah, this COVID-19 Delta variant, people refusing to vaccinated, it definitely is having an effect on a lot of companies. We've been, you know, By listening to the conference calls every day, we're hearing and listening to the show. You were hearing the news as it happens with these companies. Yeah. Now, number two, we're going to look at the U.S. housing market. U.S. housing market remains strong in July. Sales of previously owned homes rising at a faster pace than the previous month. July sales were up 1.5% from a year earlier. High prices prompting owners to put more properties on the market. But the market does remain more competitive at lower price tiers, frustrating those first-time home buyers and pricing some shoppers out of the market altogether. Now, all this is according to the National Association of Realtors. The notion that we could be higher than a year ago, even if it's just one and a half percent, is really shocking given how high prices were last July. Yeah, exactly. 
Now, Corey, let's move on to Intel. Intel won a Defense Department Award for domestic chip making. Intel will join IBM, Synopsys, and Cadence Design Systems in a Defense Department program that aims to build up domestic design and production of cutting-edge chips. The U.S. government has been working to address a global semiconductor shortage that we've been talking a lot about here. The Biden administration's defense budget for the 2022 fiscal year includes a request for $2.3 billion in microelectronics efforts deemed deemed critical to long-term national security. Yeah, this is super interesting because, you know, you have one of the biggest, uh, you know, most profitable companies in the world asking for help from the government to build up its uh, its capabilities. Right. But it looks like the Biden administration recognizing that there's going to be long-term supply problems and dependence on China and manufacturing in China um, and elsewhere uh, is, a, is a risk. And uh, maybe wanted to get uh, Intel getting right in front of the line, as you mentioned, with IBM Synopsys, which we talked about last year, last mm-hmm. week, the company that uh, helps design semiconductors. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff with the DOD leading the way. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with DoorDash. DoorDash. DoorDash trades under D-A-S-H dash. Uh, and shares have risen 28% year to date. What's new with DoorDash? So uh, interesting development uh, late Friday. Um, uh, you may remember, Isaac, since you and I are both in California, you're in LA and I'm up in the San Francisco area here and, or actually in San Francisco, which is in the San Francisco area. Sure. It all works. Yeah. Funny how that works. Yeah. Big deal last year on the ballot, Proposition 22, a change in state law. Propositions are a huge deal in this state, the most populous state in the country. And, uh, a voter approved ballot measure reclassified uh, the app-based drivers for Uber, Lyft, and, yes, DoorDash, um, and classified them as independent contractors, which means they didn't have to have the same benefits, the same taxes, and the same rights as uh, regular workers. Well, a judge in Alameda County, Alameda County is, uh, Oakland is the largest city in Alameda County, Alameda County Superior Court Judge Frank Roche, a Superior Court judge, ruled that that law, that proposition was nonsense, because the rights of workers are, defi- are set into law by the state legislature, not by the proposition system. And so it tossed out uh, this bill in favor of some challengers, the challengers including, including a group of drivers, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, and DoorDash drivers, along with uh, SEIU, uh, both the California chapter and the National Union. So challenging that, successfully challenging that, saying the state legislature is responsible for workers' compensation laws, not the proposition system. Um, and that's... Uh, flies in the face. So I think a lot of these companies thought that the change in the law in California would lead to the change in laws across the country, might even influence uh, the Secretary of Labor and the Biden administration. Indeed, in the May 13 conference call for uh, DoorDash, Tony Su, the uh, the founder or co-founder and CEO, talked about what he was hearing from the administration and what he was hearing from Secretary Walsh and Joe Biden in the Joe Biden administration that they, they seemed like they were willing to reclassify workers across the country. At least that was their read. That's what they want us to think. They also want us to think, call me a cynic. Go ahead. Call me a cynic. Cynic. You're, you Good. are a cynic. Okay. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Very easy, to, very easy to call you that because that's <laughs> what you are. Well, DoorDash, <laughs> you would think if you were a shareholder of DoorDash, they call, they want to optimize their business and make the most money. But according to the CEO, DoorDash stands for optimizing the worker. Mm. Who knew? Sure it does. Here's the CEO, Tony Zhu. You know, we're very excited about what we heard Secretary Walsh um, and the Biden administration say, uh, which, you know, to our ears was that they're very excited and 
figuring out with us, with the private sector companies, how to actually construct a model that takes us into the, the, the 21st century instead of, I guess, moving backwards toward the 20th century. Um, I mean, if you think about it, um, what DoorDash stands for is optimizing for the worker. So in this case, the Dasher, the millions of drivers on our platform. And the number one thing we hear over and again from Dashers is that they want this flexibility that has never existed in any labor environment before. And, and the question is, you know, how do we marry that um, in the face of traditional labor definitions with benefits and protections that we believe they deserve? And, and what we heard from, um, uh, you know, uh, really anyone we speak to is a willingness to engage in that conversation and construct forward a third way in which we can um, pair this independence and flexibility with benefits. And what, and that's true at the federal level. That's true at the state level. Um, and, 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 you know, any, um, elected official that we speak with. Uh huh. Okay. Optimize for the worker. I didn't In realize that case, that's what DoorDash stood for. Um, I, I thought they just got food to your front door. I'm not a big uh, DoorDash user, although I guess my kids are. In any case, um, this is a, a problem for them in California and a huge market for them and for Uber and for Lyft. And we'll see how it plays out over time. But clearly, uh, at, a, at a pretty high level, the, the court's saying here that, that as far as state law goes, that uh, Proposition 22 cannot be applied here and, and oversee and, and, and be a senior to the, the rules uh, of the state legislature itself. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, I want to pick one stock here called Tesla Canoe. Huh, I think that might be two stocks. Tesla oh. trades under TSLA. Shares rose, Tesla shares rose 3% today and they've gained 75% in a year. Canoe trades under GOEV, GoEV shares. Um, and they rose 31% today, but they've fallen 26% in a year. So why are we talking about Tesla and Canoe? What's going yeah, on? The, on, the only thing they have in common is that they both claim to make electric vehicles. Tesla does, Go EV does not yet. They say that they might someday. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, but Canoe uh, 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 and Tesla um, would both theoretically be beneficiaries of the um, emission credits. Now, this isn't too complicated, but car makers that make polluting cars, which is most car makers, um, uh, get sort of sanctioned or penalized by the federal government. Uh, and in order to get away from those, they either have to make cleaner cars or pay for the manufacture of other cars by buying the credits that other car makers who are making electric cars uh, are, are uh, given. So Tesla, one can look at, here's two ways to look at Tesla. Tesla is an electric car maker. Elon Musk says Tesla is an AI company. We uh, roundly pointed out how nutty that was last the Friday. humanoid robot yeah with a guy dressed up in a leotard i yeah, can't it, it was a guy in a leotard all right let's just be clear it was a guy in a leotard even toyota when they put out a robot that could show you a robot seven or eight years ago these guys yeah. put a guy in a leotard in any case you can look at tesla as a manufacturer of um of barely profitable electric cars or you could look at tesla as a manufacturer of zero emission credits and they're willing to make money-losing cars to make very profitable zero-emission credits. All of, let me put it a different way, all of the profits from Tesla ever have been from the sale, sale of these zero-emission credits. The cumulative sales and profits from the cars are zero. They have lost money selling cars. They make money selling credits. They get the credits because the federal government 
has rules in place to penalize the other makers of cars who have to buy those credits from Tesla. Well, last week, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration said they're going to impose higher penalties on automakers who are making polluting cars. And the industry has said this could cost up to a billion dollars. Now, let's go back in time a little bit. So Congress said in 2015 that federal agencies have to adjust these civil penalties to account for inflation. So the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration suggested that these fines should go from uh, to uh, $5.50 for every 0.1 mile per gallon of the new cars consume in excess of the standard. So polluting vehicles would have to buy more zero emission credits. And as inflation rises, they would have to continue to buy more. Well, President Obama created this rule. Trump administration comes in, they try to get rid of it. They go to court, they get sued, they lose. So then they just, so then uh, they propose delaying it. Well, last week, the Biden administration said, no, we're not going to delay it. It still should apply to 2019, as we had always said it would. Indeed, a court in 2020 also overturned uh, the, the Trump's administration's decision not to apply these rules. So could it go back? Could they go back to the 2019 polluted cars and say, you owe this money, you got to pay these fines, you got to buy these zero emission credits? That would be really good news for Tesla if Canoe ever made an a, a electrical uh, SUV, as they say that they will someday. That would be good news for them. Um, and the automakers have complained about this saying it costs up to a billion dollars. Now, what's interesting about this is Tesla, when it tells its story, doesn't want us to focus on the sale of credits. They want us to think they are a profitable car maker. They rarely talk about it on the conference calls. I went back over the course of five years. So, right, so five years would be uh, uh, 20 conference calls, right? Almost no discussion of the zero emission credits that are the entirety of the profits for this company. Um, and indeed, even when the CFO in their, in their July 2019 call, the last one where they discussed it, even when the CFO said, well, this will be a bigger part of our business going forward, Elon Musk said, no, 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 no. That's a small part of the equation for Tesla, the regulatory credits. Don't look at the regulatory credits. We're a car maker. We're an AI company. We make guys in leotards who want to dance the robot, and that should count as a robot. Listen to Elon Musk in 2019 trying to convince us of regulatory credits were a small part of the equation for Tesla. It's like the regulatory credits, is a, it's a, I mean, it's a relatively small part of the equation for, for Tesla. So, uh, and and the, 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 I think the ZEV the credit situation, I think, really needs reform because the, the market for ZEV credits is negligible. Long pause. Um, now, now, it's now, Elon. Some of, the, some of what's happening here is the, 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 you know, the other manufacturers are kind of like waiting to see how their EV sales do um, before you know, buying any credits from Tesla. And so it, it kind of depends on, on how that goes. If they sell more EVs, then, then there's not really a need to do a deal with Tesla. And if they sell fewer, then there is. And that was it. That's all they had to say about the entirety of their profits at this company. So they don't want us looking at zero emission credits, but I'm sure they like it today because the stock's up a little bit. This is really important for electrical vehicle makers. And I think this is one of the biggest reasons that the Ford and others are just rushing ahead into this electric vehicle um, situation because they really do recognize Ford and Chevrolet and others, because I think they really do recognize that the tide is turning and eventually the tax revenue uh, applied to polluting vehicles is going to get higher and higher, whether it's through this mechanism or something else. <laughs> 
Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Madison Square Garden. Ah, MSG. MSGE shares rose 16% today and they have, they've gained 5% higher. They've gained 5% higher in a year. So what's new with Madison Square Garden? Massively underperforming the market, Madison Square Garden Entertainment. Madison Square Garden Entertainment is no longer Madison Square Garden alone. It is not just Knicks and Rangers and Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Actually, that circus doesn't exist anymore. But in the old days, that was a Knicks and or boxing matches and so on. The Knicks story, the Knicks story, the Madison Square Garden story is about bottle service. You know bottle service, Isaac? I am familiar. How familiar are you with bottle service? I would say pretty familiar. I'm going to go with quite familiar. Isaac Webster is familiar with bottle service. I know a thing or two about bottle service myself. These guys own Tao Group Hospitality. Tao Group acquired Hakistan, the restaurant and club. Yep. Yeah. uh, Recently. That business was bigger for them in the quarter ending in June, which is their fourth fiscal quarter, almost twice the size of the Madison Square Garden business. Wow. So wow. in the quarter that just ended, they had about $100 million in revenues up from $9 million the year before the pandemic-stricken fourth quarter of last year. Revenues from the Tau Group um, uh, were and, and with Hakistan were $70 million. Hakistan. Uh, Hakistan, excuse me. There's no T in there, Corey. There is not. Hakistan, you also know it sounds like you know some Hakistan as well. I have. I am very familiar with Hakistan and Tau. <laughs> I had no idea that Madison Square Garden um, owned them. Honestly, yes. yeah, I've been, I haven't been to the Hakkasan Club in Vegas, which you may be referring to. That's mainly. the one I'm referring to. Yeah, I have been to the restaurant in uh, New York and in San Francisco often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hipster places that they are. Yeah, I haven't been since the pandemic. No one went during the pandemic, but now right. those things are back big time. So yeah. that's done well for this company. Uh, they also own uh, the company owns Radio City Music Hall, and they've announced that the Rockettes are coming back with a Christmas spectacular. Nice. You know they do 163 shows? No, really? 163 shows in the wow. holiday season. That is more than the 162 regular season baseball games that teams play in the major leagues wow. uh, in just the course of a few months. So incredible. Um, you also saw that these guys put up, because of the nightclub business, they collect a lot of money selling tickets for things that haven't happened yet. So their deferred revenues and collections from promoters uh, were $233 million, including $45 million uh, due, to, due to promoters. So uh, really interesting uh, uh, businesses here, all doing quite well, booking even better than they did. And yet the one of the biggest things we're excited about, CEO Andy Lusgarden talking in their conference call this morning, about gambling revenues, not revenues for gambling itself, but legalization of gambling in New York that is coming down the pike. They think it's going to be fantastic for the advertising revenues for the Knicks and the Rangers and the networks that broadcast their work. Here's Andy Lesgarten talking about reaching sports fans in the New York market. Biggest consortiums, or one of the consortiums, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, and Bailey's um, had a forecast where by year three, with a, with a 50% tax rate, they believe they're going to deliver $1.3 billion to the state. So that means there's $1.3 billion um, that they have to play with uh, to drive those that drive that business, which, by the way, includes some value for marketing that they baked into their business models that we don't can't tell from what's been uh, public so far. So um, to me, that sounds like there's going to be a lot of competition to reach people. And I think that we're going to be here to, uh, um, to, to to provide that service. 
Um, I'll say that could be there might be multiple consortiums, there might be multiple operators. It's a little questionable exactly how it plays out, but I think in any which way, we feel very good that we're close with all of the major operators, both the new entrants as well as the, um, the bigger, uh, more established, longer-term entrants, and we feel really good about what this means for our business. So really Thanks counting on that revenue about to show up uh, once New York legalizes sports gambling and you know, New York wants that revenue and it seems to have gone all right in New Jersey and other states. Um, these guys are counting on selling advertisements around Knicks and Rangers games to get those uh, sports revenues. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to look at an interesting cloud provider. Imagine kind of like the Amazon web services of startups and small businesses focused on programmers, focused on community. DigitalOcean CEO Yancey Spruill joins us right after this. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Indeed. Here's a big question for every kind of business when you're hiring. How do you know who's really best for that role? Save time and screen for quality candidates with the skills you need with Indeed assessments. Hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. So don't just hope for the perfect candidate to find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise, hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed assessments, you can choose from 135 skill tests. Find out if your applicants got the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So join more than three million businesses worldwide and use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now. Drill Down listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade their post at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's right, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Go to Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at Drill Down Pod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by the CEO of a company called Digital Ocean. Yancey Spruill joins us. For, where are you actually, Yancey? I'm in Boulder, Colorado. My oh, lovely. You win. I'm here in San Francisco. And um, uh, we're <laughs> glad to have you on. Digital Ocean is uh, one of, there are lots of companies that in a cursory description of what they do, they all sound alike. So the notion that you are in cloud service providing something doesn't tell me enough. What is it that Digital Ocean does? How do you make money? Yeah, so we, the, the conventional name for what we do is we're a cloud infrastructure uh, provider. We focus on uh, software developers through startups and small and medium-sized businesses. And effectively what we do is we own over 25,000 computers spread across 14 different data centers uh, around the world. And we enable our customers to rent a portion of our computer our storage and access to the internet. So instead of them having to buy upfront a computer and store it in a cabinet and cool it and buy a network switch and deal with the telecom communications uh, companies, they can just rent what they need uh, and uh, and only what they need each month. And um, and so that's what the cloud in generally means is we have our infrastructure in the cloud and people rent access to it instead of having to buy their own infrastructure. And so it's a much more efficient way, especially for small, medium-sized businesses, software developers who may just be testing a little bit of code. 
they don't need to buy a, a really expensive server and all the other gear associated with it. And um, we have 600,000 customers spread across 185 countries uh, throughout the world. 70% of our customers are uh, outside the United States. And, um, you know, we have a little over 400 million in, in revenue on a run rate basis, 426 as of the last quarter. Um, and, yep. um, you know, we just went public uh, earlier this year and we're just getting started on a massive opportunity to serve entrepreneurs and developers around the world. Yeah, let's talk about that. So some might look at your service and compare it to um, Azure from Microsoft or Amazon Web Services, uh, Google's cloud efforts as well. Uh, your focus on small businesses is super interesting to me. When I think about small businesses, I think about dry cleaners. I think about the sushi shop down the alley across the street from me. Um, wh wh those aren't the kind of small businesses you're focused on. Well, I would say historically, you know, we focused on, you know, people that were tech enabled businesses, uh, you know, people building a website as part of their business, a blog, a SaaS, a software as a service application that they would run on, on our infrastructure. Um, but, you know, certainly over the last, as, as time has moved on and new businesses are formed, you know, a lot of people raise their head up now and say, do I need to buy computers or can I rent them? And I think, uh, and do I need a digital presence or do I not? So the dry cleaners or the pizza shop, um, you know, nowadays, I think certainly humanity in the last 18 months doesn't question whether you're small or large, you need a digital presence. And so right. our capabilities are actually relevant to all of uh, small business, um, whether they have a digital presence or not, because if they consider having one, you know, they should rent the infrastructure and not uh, own it. Uh, and the suite of services and, and how we uh, um, serve those customers is tailor-made, purpose-built for the earlier stage business. And so all of those, and, and just to put it in context, there's a hundred million small and medium-sized businesses in the world today, 14 million new net of attrition are created every year. There's about 30 million software developers in the world today. Uh, and that's projected to go to about 50 million by the end of this decade. So you're talking about an enormous opportunity in terms of the number of individuals and, and businesses out there. They spend about $50 billion today just on the cloud. Wow. Uh, and that's projected to go over to a hundred billion. So it's a big market. And I do think that there's a misperception of dry cleaners and pizza shops and all the rest of it are, are niche. They're half of the GDP of the United States. Well, exactly. And a little bit more than half if you go th throughout the world. So we're playing in a massive market that's been historically highly underserved by large cap technology companies who focus on large enterprises. And you, it's probably better margin, too, for you. Well, you know, as we announced a couple of weeks ago, we're generating free cash flow. We have a strong EBITDA margins. We're getting uh, we're getting uh, stronger. We're committed philosophically as an executive team to grow the business faster and realize the potential uh, opportunity. We think we're on our path to build a multi-billion-dollar revenue company. We're uh, you know over four hundred million today, six hundred thousand customers, and we think that we can do that and also prioritize how we make our investments to support that growth strategy in a way that allows us to scale efficiently. Uh, we call it grow faster and grow smarter, uh, grow the revenue faster, but grow it smarter so that we can drive lever operating leverage, uh, i.e. another way of saying uh, operating yeah. free cash flow uh, that grows in proportion to our revenue growth. 
Yeah, well, yeah, operating income doesn't always translate to free cash flow. It's an accounting issue more than anything else. But we can get into that. We don't have to get into that. With your case, you're actually, I, free cash flow to me is the only true measure of success of a business, and you got it. So it's an impressive thing. Um, I, I, uh, I want to get into some of the definitions yes. of the terms of the businesses that you're in. Particularly, there's two terms, IAAS, infrastructure as a service, and PAAS, yeah. PAAS, or, or platform as a service. Right. What the hell's the difference between those two? <laughs> You know, uh, leave it to everybody to come up with acronyms that uh, aren't relevant uh, right. or uninteresting to the masses. But let me help. So what I described earlier was IAAS, Infrastructure as a Service. So we offer compute, uh, compute access to a computer server. We offer access to storage. So you build your applications, the code base, your website, whatever. Then you need to store that. Uh, and other things like your HR uh, uh, systems, your uh, email, all that. You store that on the server and those are storage services. And then there's network services like managing your customer uh, inter interactions across the globe, uh, across our data centers, getting access to the internet, all the rest of it. So computer access, uh, storage access and network access and connectivity is what's conventionally called IAAS. And then we also, and that's about 90% of our business today uh, in terms of revenue. And then uh, the balance of our revenue comes across platform as a service or PAAS. And what that is, is those are software services that uh, aren't necessarily the actual core infrastructure, but they're, um, they're a database application um, that you may store on your uh, uh, IAAS uh, application that you're uh, using with us so that you could manage your customer base uh, more easily with more uh, analytics horsepower. We have a Kubernetes, uh, managed Kubernetes service, and uh, which is allows you to deploy your code that you're writing on the IAS platform. It allows you to deploy that code efficiently. Um, uh, it's a software application, if you will. We also have a marketplace. We have dozens of developer tools, business tools like accounting software. We have uh, website building tools that you can access in our marketplace store that are software services that you run on the infrastructure. So they're complementary. And, um, you know, the industry started out as you run your infrastructure as a service and people brought their apps that they had homebrewed 10, 15 years ago. Everyone wrote their own apps or bought third party applications right. now called PaaS or P-A-A-S. Uh, and they ran their own infrastructure. But now when you outsource the infrastructure, what the infrastructure providers have been creating as well as ecosystems of companies around those infrastructure providers is platform software services that are the apps that you use to build your business or test your idea if you're a software developer. So lots of buzzwords in there, but the PaaS is essentially the software services that you use, applications that you build your functionality for your business, and you run that on the infrastructure or IAAS. So are the same customers for infrastructure as a service, customers for platform as a service, do they come in to host their own stuff and figure out they essentially need the help that the platform will give them, or is it vice versa? Where well, I need some help, oh, by the way, where should I store this stuff? And the answer is the same, it's DigitalOcean first, or DigitalOcean, I should yeah. say, pardon me. It's, it's, they, they work together. And so as you think about a two-person developer team testing in a code and their idea, all they need is access to a computer server, someplace to store their code base, and then probably communication between them uh, or other potential uh, testers of their code. They need network connectivity. So they're really just using infrastructure. 
as that two person team launches a company and uh, they need, uh, they add employees, they add customers, the, the nature of their work becomes much more complicated. You know, you got instead of two people around a ping pong table writing code, uh, you know, you got two teams of developers of eight or nine. And so managing how you develop code, make sure that they're in sequence and not, um, you know, they have consistent standards, et cetera, and are running efficiently. You need applications, software tools to help you manage uh, your workflow. You know, a database application uh, is your customers go from zero to 10 to 50 to 100. It's somewhere in there. You know, you can't keep track of your customers on an Excel right. spreadsheet or on a whiteboard anymore. You need a database tool to run marketing campaigns easily, et cetera. And so you buy software applications to run on the infrastructure in complement. Uh, and so they, they work together. So it depends on the stage and nature of the company. You can imagine massive companies like JP Morgan or General Electric. They have thousands of different applications because they have hundreds of thousands of employees doing all sorts of right. different things. Earlier stage businesses don't need the complexity and the depth of the software applications, but they need some as they go from a two-person person team testing ideas. Exactly. And that's core to our business, you know, a simplicity, ease of use. In the time we've already been on the podcast, you could be up and running um, uh, coding on our platform. Uh, price transparency, it's a consumption-based model. Although if you're listening to podcasts right now, please don't, don't turn off the podcast right now. You want to stay on this podcast and continue listening because you won't believe what's about to happen. I got to say stuff like that. Otherwise, people tune off and just go on <laughs> exactly. to your service and start a company. You know, there's a, it's interesting. I, so that's, I sit in this space exactly here right. in, in the in the ferry building in San Francisco where there are a number of startups all around me. There's one right across the hall from me that I, I, I watch, watch them in this kind of fishbowl glass room where I've literally watched them go from one guy to two people to six people to eight people crowded around a table, exactly. all programming, all coding. I can't, the company's still in the stealth, so I can't talk about the name of it. But it has been interesting for me to watch these. And they're all, of course, 20 something. And, 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 you know, they're, they're Lots of, it's, it's, it's what you can imagine, a room full of six or eight 20-somethings, and they're all crowded in there together. I, they may be breeding COVID at the very moment. I don't know. But there they are all programming together, and you can <laughs> see the intensity of what they're doing as they stare into these black screens with little green and red and orange digits on them. Um, I'm sure they're the, the type of business that you're after. That's exactly – that's core to our ethos is helping those people test their ideas – uh, and get them into the cloud and into the internet and build a business. You know, what we, we like to say test an idea, build a business and realize their dreams. And key to that is not just the core technology, but we have a lot of 35,000 and growing documentation tutorials. People come to our platform to learn how to code as their business grows and evolves, things change, different technologies they need to integrate. And we write a lot of tutorials uh, about that. We also offer support to our customers. So unlike a lot of people in this cloud uh, space, we don't differentiate the support. You know, you have to pay above a certain amount. Everybody can talk to uh, and get a human interaction on the support side. So we really create this business that helps remove barriers and friction that traditional technology solutions have put in the way of early stage uh, technology businesses. So we're trying to remove that friction and be force multipliers for them so they can test build, scale a business uh, on uh, DigitalOcean. I also think it's really interesting how you've made um, 
you guys describe it as community, and I think some of the people who cover in Wall Street, some of your financial filings and investor presentations talk about the importance of community. But I look at it, when I look at your business as a media business, what you've really got is a media business where you have um, data and information to enlighten uh, a potential customer and you draw them in through that media, they eventually get a service. In, in a different world, the service would have been offered by an advertiser, like the fine advertisers on the Drill Down podcast, but instead you're offering media up almost as a service <laughs> to your customers or potential customers. We're absolutely offering up um, you know, digital content that helps them learn and to grow. And so we become, we generate, you know, five and a half million visitors to DigitalOcean a month uh, seeking, you know, you can imagine an engineer in Ghana and an engineer in Vietnam and an engineer in Ukraine and engineer in Soho, where we're headquartered in New York, all at two in the morning stuck on some idea. They all type into Google, how do I do this, that or the other in open source software? And they all go to our site to read the same. They're brought to our site to read the same tutorial. And uh, some subset of them, you know, millions of people do this, uh, you know, monthly on our on our on our site, and tens of thousands become paying customers because they'll read a tutorial, they'll read others, they'll experiment with uh, what our platform has to offer, and they're like, "Wow, if I'm going to launch my idea, this is the perfect place to do it because, you know, the technology is easy to understand, it's simple to use." Wow, they have great documentation. These tutorials are helping me get better at doing what I want to do. And if I get stuck, I have a human being that I can actually engage with and not uh, some uh, email response saying, you know, you're below the threshold uh, of dollar threshold. So, uh, you know, sorry, we can't help you. So we 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 also support open source software, which is a force multiplier as well. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Is that because the, the, the community supports the community and then therefore you don't have the cost associated with uh, tens of thousands of knowledgeable customer service reps? Well, we do have, we don't have tens of thousands, but we have a lot of customer service reps that we add to because we, we get a lot of people uh, sending inquiries into us every day that we are, are very responsive to uh, on technical issues or, or how to use our platform or how to scale, how to do this or that. So that's a very important, that's a foundational thing for us is support and community. We call our documentation tutorials part of building community because we're bringing people to DigitalOcean to learn and to grow. So many people read our tutorials and they're a customer at GCP or Google Cloud or Azure. And, um, and, and what we're doing by building this network of community is, you know, it's first of all, our value is the uh, one of our core values is the community is bigger than just us. We're part of the 100 million plus software developer and entrepreneurs around the world who are chasing dreams, who want to uh, do something on their own to realize their potential. And that community, we're fostering that community that's foundational to what we do. It happens to be how we also go to market, but it's also foundational to us helping people who traditionally have been underserved by the technology industry because it's been too complex, too expensive, too much friction involved in it. We've removed all of that. We've, we have um, no, you know, low friction to no friction. We offer you help when you need the help and we invest in your learning and development, uh, even if it's not a dollar of revenue to us, because we know we're built in building this community, you know, somebody who might be a GCP engineer reading our tutorials. And I've met many customers or potential customers 
who don't who aren't on uh, digital running their business on our platform, but they always say when someone calls and asks me where should I build my business, they always refer them to us. So community is huge for us. It's foundational. It's part of us li- living our mission uh, and our values. And uh, it, we're building this multi-million person, person ecosystem uh, that's viral. And that's helping us build a, a business that we think is going to be really important uh, because we think helping the folks that have been underserved in technology is, uh, and we've learned it during this pandemic, so many people, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible over the last year to talk to customers who are still running their companies because they're digital. Their customers are yep. digital, how they reach their customers. And so they've been able to do something, whereas 10, 15 years ago, you know, they would have been out of luck. And so I'm proud. Frankly, it's an honor to be able to serve the world's entrepreneurs and developers uh, as a part of DigitalOcean. That's cool. Let me ask you one last question. Um, you guys saw um, a dramatic increase in the pace of revenue growth, not just revenue growth, but the, the amount of revenue growth, the percentage of revenue growth increased really dramatically last year. Is that pure, it's not purely COVID, but how much of that was driven by the, the quote unquote digital transformation that was COVID accelerated, if you will? So what I would say is, uh, you know, I've been here about two years. We've brought in a, a lot of new executives uh, in the last, uh, you know, in that first six, nine months. So as the pandemic was kicking in, we made sort of the last changes. We started to, and we the business was growing in the mid 20s and we made a lot of, change to try to grow the business faster, as we talked about earlier, uh, and grow it smarter or profitably. And so uh, a lot of that has been driving efficiency and go to market, et cetera. I will say, and so uh, we were really flat last year. We were a little bit accelerating in, in Q4 in terms of top line revenue because of the, the time delay and when you bring teams in, when they make change and when you see the benefits of that change. So we're absolutely seeing growth acceleration this year. Uh, you know, 30% in the first uh, quarter, you know, 36% ARR exit uh, run rate in uh, in the second quarter. And as we said the other day, we're sustaining um, uh, in acceleration in the second half. So we absolutely are seeing net new business formation is increasing. We had a window into that a year ago. The numbers are now coming out from the economic bureaus uh, that validate that. Um, and so, you know, I would say, you know, we do a lot in media and streaming. We talked last week in our call about two weeks ago in our call about a edge e-learning company who's been ramping dramatically over the last year. So some of those businesses benefited, but, you know, we, we, um, we, we serve the, the world's entrepreneurs and, um, they're always forming businesses, whether the economy is good or bad, they, they form at a little faster rate if the economy is bad. And so we're in that period now. And we're seeing some benefit from that. But I wouldn't say that um, we think that we're on a durable path to, uh, and a sustainable path to grow the business north of 30 percent for a uh, for the foreseeable future um, because of our opportunity, as I talked about earlier. There's so many people. They spend a lot of money in aggregate. And we have a very efficient way through community of attracting them uh, to DigitalOcean. And we have a purpose built set of capabilities that, that support their growth and uh, aspirations. Yancy Spruill is the CEO of DigitalOcean. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Well, the drill down bite is the one number that tells us a whole lot. I've got a number about DigitalOcean. It is that revenue growth percentage. It is dramatically higher than what it was a year ago. We'll have that number when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. 
Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we sure hope you're enjoying the Drill Down podcast. More people could enjoy this podcast if you just leave a review. So go to your favorite podcast platform, the platform you're probably listening to the show on right now. Hey, leave a little review. Give us a sentence. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell the rest of the world what you like about the Drill Down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. And we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole whole lot, he said in English. The growth uh, of this company, Isaac, is impressive. Look, it was impressive a year ago, 24%, but the number that I want to share with you that will tell you a whole lot tells you how the revenue growth has accelerated. It's now at 35% revenue growth, uh, just a really strong acceleration of the top line, but an acceleration of the acceleration rate, which is what you really want to see. Um, and these guys are showing, and I think it shows that that kind of long-term investment in community and 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 starting people who may be customers somewhere else are thinking about where to put their business. If they're going somewhere for advice all the time, they may be more likely to host their services uh, there with DigitalOcean. Yeah, and it seemed to me like there's a this a huge focus on what does the customer need, what does the customer want. I mean, it's kind of that simple. Yeah, imagine. All right, yeah. well, you've been listening to the Drill Down Podcast. We really do appreciate. It. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster's our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. 